I'm thinking Andy's Andy's t- turning into a little bit of a diva. He, you know, he's got to have his water. And he's got to have everything all set up before he's willing to come on. I've not got anything. Send the limo to bring him over. I have no idea what you're on about. I have nothing. Nothing. I think I think all all the positive press has gone to your head. We have positive press. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I've not seen this positive press. I'm Captain Benjamin Cisco. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert! Shields up. What shields? Your Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets. I'm Paul Spataro, and as usual, I am joined by J. David Weeder. Gold Cat is not Jay in this episode. <laughs> J. Andrew Leyland. Gold Cat is not in this episode. And once again, we have J. David Pascarella with us. Gold Cat is not in this episode. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to crash. Everybody <laughs> doing? What about me? Said you. I said J. Bill Robinson. Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, it was like the Jay Giles Gap Band. Freeze frame. It's gone cold. My latinum's gone cold. My Dabo girls are centerfold. <laughs> Dabo girls are centerfold. Oh, we never sang our Dabo Queen song either, Danny. We did not sing our Dabo. We spurred the world that. <laughs> because we stuck, it was not that we stuck it in Paul's head through Facebook. Not at all. You can bet. You <clears throat> having the time of your life. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> so and anybody got any Star Trek news? Yes, uh, Picard started filming. It's only just filming now. Yes, because you know with them putting out a teaser trailer, and you know it is not the new year, despite the fact that this will be coming out early in 2020. Uh, it's. Uh, the, you know, the fact that the teaser trailer came out, I figured they had most of the principal photography done. No, it's only been, it was a very, very early teaser. It's only been filming a couple of weeks. They suck. And this one's going to be on Amazon, but is it going to be like the Netflix one? It's not going to be on Amazon in the States, but it is, or... CBS uh, All Access in the U.S. <laughs> Amazon Prime everywhere else in the world. They suck. I hate them. Yeah. Yeah, it does suck. Did they, they say suck. anything about the premise of the show? It's because no <laughs> that's it. <laughs> the teaser trailer was um, his wine factory, Chateau Picard. Chateau Picard. Yeah. It's going it's to be ten episodes of him uh, mourning Renee, and then some young bloke comes up to him and says, "You saved the Federation fifteen years ago. Why did you resign?" And then Picard gets carried off to this little village in Wales, where he is constantly berated by a series of new Starfleet admirals who constantly ask him why did he resign and he keeps denying to answer this question because Picard feels that his life is his own quite rightly so and then he shuffles around going how come Riker never called how come Riker never called (laughs) 
Why is that giant bubble chasing me? <laughs> I got Andy's reference. Well, actually, I know that it's supposed to key off of Romulus. Key off? Wasn't that the guy from G-Force? Oh, wait, yeah, Bill, nobody knows what you're talking about except for Andy. Andy? Okay. Uh, yeah, that was key off. But it's supposed to key off, uh, key, you know what, launch off of the idea that Romulus was destroyed, the Romulan homeworld. So there's something to do with that. That's about all we know about the premise. I didn't know it was sick. <laughs> so it was it's spinning Star Trek out in 2009. It's spinning out of the 2009 movie. Yes. Yay. So Picard is now in the alternate Kelvin universe no. timeline. No. No, that's Prime Universe. Andy. Yeah, Prime Universe that the par- stock Prime came from. All right. So the Kelvin universe can, can be completely ignored now. Nope. I'm sure it'll get roped in somewhere. Right. It's all very confusing. Do you remember when it was just one timeline? Well, no, actually, because all good things are about 20. So Yeah. Remember when we before we told kids to get off our lawn? We had one timeline, and we liked it. Yes, yeah, so we stuck with it. And we went backward and forward in it, and we didn't go off to the side, and we liked it. So I think I am the only one, and this is going to be old news, because by now that Blu-ray will be out as of August 6th, I got to see What We Left Behind, the Deep Space good? Nine documentary. Yes. Ooh. They, um, there's one part I want to talk about, but they, I'm not going to spoil this part. They map out and break what would have been season eight, episode one. Cool. And at first I'm like, well, the end of the show ended perfectly. There's no need to. And then by the time they got done with this, I'm like, give it to me now. Now. Yeah. I watched, I watched a clip that, what's his first, what's his name? Producer guy. Blue Beard. I receive him bear. That's it. Completely slipped to my mind uh, that he put up, which is the writer's room pitching the teaser. Mm-hmm. And that's all this show, so it's only about 30 seconds to a minute of footage. And having seen that minute, I'm like, I want that episode. Yeah, wait till they wait till you see the rest of it, though. Right. But there was a, a revelation, if you, uh, air quotes revelation. They were checking off all the things that Deep Space Nine, uh, t- you know, addressed. And some people have talked about the, the documentary being a little self-congratulatory. There's nothing in this that they are saying that we haven't said. But one thing they couldn't check off was... Um, both uh, sexual identity and I receive and bears like we should have had Garrick come out of the closet and be gay right from the, the start and so that, that somehow this has been making the rounds on the internet that everybody's surprised I thought it was even Andrew Robinson has even said as much yeah uh, that's not really a surprise yeah <laughs> I just assumed he was I kind of I mean the, <laughs> I don't know and, and honestly, I don't even know that it's worth exploring, except for the fact if you're trying to send a social message. And if you are, and you do it subtly, and you don't make it, you know, beat you over the head with it, because Star Trek never does that. Uh, you know, I'm okay with that. But on the other hand, I, I don't really care about his sexuality. And then, you know, he was involved with, what's her name, uh, Ducat's daughter. Zayel? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really see him as having obvious That's sexual... That's not pro- described in the book, that... Uh, because I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through a stitch in time, it's that's not it's not in there. I guess if they wanted to put it in the show, that's fine. I, I never suspected, to be honest with you. Oh. You know, a, a guy I'm plays a Liberace. Oh, <laughs> I plays Liberace once, and suddenly he's gay. Well, that was. It doesn't yeah. really matter to me one way or yeah. the other is what it comes down to. But that was one of their regrets was they didn't mm. they didn't address it head on. Yeah, but they did address that kind of thing with Dax, mm-hmm. who had absolutely yeah. no problem being attracted to male, female, mourn. Yeah. <laughs> so so they did kind of do it, and they did it in a way that was um, quite ahead of time for television at that moment. So I think they should allow themselves that. Yeah. Maybe just... they should have had, like, where Nog or Jake was gay, and like the other one, but, you know. 
they should explore something like that. And I know I, I'm not joking. I'm not being flippant. Like if you wanted to try that, is then that would be kind of well, a man might be kind of creepy. But again, when when you're talking about alien races like that, what is gay or straight to the Cardassians? Exactly. Mm, yeah. You know, I maybe know. maybe like in Alienation, maybe they need three of them to reproduce. We don't know that. In fact, that was really funny in Alienation when they had to do that. Oh, I forgot about that. They yeah. have. I don't know if this is a naive way to look at things, but I don't think that in every case somebody's sexual identity defines who they are. And for that well, maybe reason, to them. Well, but I'm talking about from a dramatic point of view, you know, watching a, a series such as this, you know, whether or not Garrick was heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, I don't know that it matters. You know what I mean? It, it's just not significant to me. It doesn't define his character. His character is defined by so many other traits that seem to be so much more significant from a storytelling point of view. Now, again, they could have done an episode just to kind of, uh, you know, give a social message. And if they had, you know, depending on how well they did it, that, that would have been fine. Uh, but I, like I said, to me, it's, it's just not that significant. It's not, it doesn't change in any way how I look at his character because that's not how I define him. His, he's not, he's not like, uh, you know, like Dr. Bashir, who spent the first season trying to be a womanizer, and then you find out he's gay. If something like that happened, you know, it would be more significant to how you viewed his character. Does that make sense? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yes, to me it does. And that's but why I'm, we asked you I'm one simple, here, Dave. I'm just a simple man, though. Just a simple tailor. As well, I mean, Garrick's tailor. always been kind of... Plain simple Garrick. His demeanor has been, I don't want to say flamboyant, but and he's very... When he's in his tailor mode, he's you. I look at that as a role to, with his, you know, man, what is the word I'm looking for? Disarming, you know, when he's the tailor. Oh, blah, blah, yes, yes, this. But I never, you know, saw him, you know, as well, though he did do jazz hands. So never mind. <laughs> That's your way you're going. <laughs> That's where I'm going. It's still early. I'm, I, I haven't had enough Mountain Dew. I'm trying to figure out why Iris Stephen Bear pooped in my mouth. That's the. <laughs> Yeah, Iris Stephen Bear. Get it? <laughs> oh, wrong, wrong bear. <laughs> that was a little pre-show discussion. I'll, I'll be quiet now. <laughs> Anything else? No, if that's it, then we'll take a look at who mourns for Morn. His top customer just hit bottom. He left everything to you. Me? And Quark's fortune is about to change for the worse on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which is a season six episode number twelve, directed by Victor Lobel, written by Mark Gerard O'Connell. Did you just sneeze? <laughs> Maybe. Has guest appearances by Gregory Itzen, Brad Greenquist, Bridget Ann White, Cyril O'Reilly, and Mark Allen Shepard as Morn. The plot is that the crew is shocked to learn that Morn has been killed in an ion storm. True to form, Quark sees an opportunity for profit and throws a memorial party at his bar. Sisko interrupts with surprising news. Morn has left Quark his entire estate. Although Morn's financial records indicate that he was broke, Quark searches Morn's quarters for hidden assets. Instead, he finds Morn's ex-wife, Larelai, or excuse me, Laurel, who tells Quark about Mom's hidden retirement about Mom's. <laughs> what am I, Bill? <laughs> who tells Quark about Morn's hidden retirement fund 
of a thousand bricks of gold-pressed latinum. The episode clarifies for the first time that latinum is a fluid which is customarily pressed in small yet highly valuable ratios into gold to make it easier to handle. The gold itself, which unlike latinum can easily be replicated, is worthless by 24th century standards. Quark offers Laurel 10% to keep her out of his hair, but he's unable to find the loot. He returns to his quarters and finds two alien Jack Nicholson brothers, Crit and Nashk, claiming to be Morn's business associates. They tell Quark that Morn owes them all of the latinum. Quark tries to bargain when Nashk smashes one of Morn's paintings over Quark's head. The two parties finally agree to a figure of 50%, and the brothers leave. Moments later, Quark discovers a storage locker claim slip woven into what's left of the painting. Quark opens the locker but finds only one brick of latinum inscribed with a message that the rest is in a bank of bolas. He hurries home to send the rest of it to send for the rest of his inheritance, but another stranger, Hain, emerges from the shadows. Claiming to be a security officer for Morn's home planet, Hain explains that Morn is a prince and that his latinum is the property of the royal family. When he learns Lorel is on the station, he offers Quark a reward for her capture. Later, Quark fi- finds Lorel waiting for him in his quarters. Crit and Nashk show up, followed by Hain. Quark learns that their stories are all lies. The four of them robbed the central bank of Lesepia, a.k.a. Lesepian, the Lesepian Mother's Day heist, with Morn, who ran off with all the money. With the statute of limitations now expired, they came to collect, and now that Quark has sent for the Latinum, they no longer need him. Quark reminds the group that he must be there to take the delivery, so they agree to split the money five ways. However, the partners try to double-cross each other, and Quark runs for cover until Odo arrives to arrest the four thieves. Quark excitedly examines the latinum, only to discover that the bars have had all of the latinum extracted, leaving mere gold. Resigned to his fate, Quark returns to the bar to find Morn alive and well. He faked his own death, leaving Quark to get the others out of the way. Morn then reveals where he really hid the latinum, in his second stomach. He regurgitates a few milliliters, 100 bricks of, as a reward for Quark making the whole experience a worthwhile one after all. Now, I have to say, not that I didn't enjoy this episode, but I had fonder memories of it than the episode was able to give me in rewatching it. And I think the reason is somehow in my mind, even though I remembered what the basic plot was, I had an image in my mind of there being more mourn involvement even though I remembered that he was supposed to be dead through the whole episode. Uh, so it turns out, you know, realistically, even though I'm trying to put this one as being about Morn, it really is just a Quark adventure, and it's not that far removed from having another Quark adventure a couple of episodes ago. So I kind of feel, once again, and this is a criticism we've had in the past, that this episode was misplaced as far as when it occurred. I think this probably would have been better if it was like a full season ago. Uh you know, it, it just didn't seem to fit right now with what's going on. So for that reason, it was a little bit disappointing. It didn't quite live up to my memory of it. But as a general rule, I still enjoyed it. I still found it to be kind of amusing. Uh, but I really found the Morn involvement more and more amusing than the Quark involvement. And the Morn involvement is so minimal that that's kind of what, what the letdown was for me. 
So for the most part, I actually found this one funnier than the last Ferengi farce, largely because this one felt a little bit more in character and a little bit more subtler in its humour. Quark is still thick as pig shit in various bits of it. There is no reason whatsoever for him to trust Gregory Itson's character when he's plainly not trusting anyone else. He just takes him at his word, which I didn't understand. But other than that, I actually thought he Shimmerman was very, very funny in this show. And it was a lot more deadpan, understated humour than the rather brash humour of the last one. <clears throat> the only thing I didn't understand, excuse me, why were the two brothers trying to be Jack Nicholson? Yeah, or or Christian Slater. Oh, Christian Slater, yeah. <laughs> so overall, I, I enjoyed it more than the Ferengi one, which I enjoyed that one as well. This one didn't suck. But there's a reason I didn't remember the episode at all when I put it in and press play. This reminded me of the case of the gullible woodpecker, to be honest with you. Do, I would do, agree if I knew what that was. Woody Woodpecker. There, there was an episode of Woody Woodpecker where he, he's going to get scammed, and he just keeps going in further and further. And throughout the whole episode, there's this Dick Tracy, you know, police detective character who just keeps popping up going, if Woody had gone right to the police, this would never have happened. <laughs> I, I, now I remember that. <laughs> and kind of that's all I kept thinking with this. Like, Quark should have been a lot smarter than he was. You know, the ex-wife shows up. She's, oh, I'm going to tie you up in court. Go ahead, tie me up in court. You're an ex-wife. You're not entitled to anything. <laughs> You're business... getting the way you... <laughs> The business partners show up. Oh, you got a contract? Oh, no, it was a handshake. Good, go see Odo. These guys are trying to shake me down. The security officer shows up. Odo, is this guy really a security officer? I know you wouldn't have the laughs, but that that's all I kept saying. If Quark had gone right to the police, this would never have happened. <laughs> the case is so, for Angie. Like yeah. Jake Sisko just kept turning to the camera and saying that. Yeah, that would have made it even better. <laughs> or we could have Goldukat from our next episode come in and do that. But not there was character. was another reference to Morn having a, a full head of hair at one point. <laughs> I love yeah, that. that's, yeah. why his, that's why his hair fell out because he had uh, had all the platinum in him. And some of the dialogue exchanges were funny, like the stuff with um, Dax and Worf, where she actually admits to having a crush on him, and and Worf's like, "On Morn." And the whole stuff about our regular sparring matches were the highlight of my week. All that stuff was fun. <laughs> well, I think we said before, Morn seems like another reference to an old TV, TV show. Do you remember Barney Miller? Yeah. yeah, sure. Abe Vigoda played Fish, who mm -hmm. could barely walk. But when they would come back to the police station, it was like, oh, you should have seen him. He was chasing this guy across the Oh, yeah, that's he right. Over. He jumped from one building to another. <laughs> Right. Meanwhile, he could barely walk in the police station. Yeah, I remember that was that was actually the episode when they accidentally ingested hash. Something like that. And he, he jumped from one building to another chasing the guy. And then afterwards he was like, what do you think you're playing with here, kids? <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, Morn is Norm from Cheers, though. Right. <laughs> That's who he is. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I have a fondness for Morn. I've always had some fondness for Morn, but it was increased because our friend Sean had a great fondness for him. Mm. He used to do the Morn sightings in our early episodes. So I, I particularly have that fondness now because of that. 
so I still enjoyed this episode. No, it, it was fun. It was a fun episode. I would have preferred that the uh, velvet painting was an Elvis Presley because Elvis on velvet is perfect. Should have had an Elvis bullfighter. Uh, there you go. Dave Weeder, any any opinions? I'm still on this episode. Uh just want to let everybody know that. Um, <laughs> no, it was, I thought it was hilarious, and I love the idea that Morn has this life that we don't see on screen, much like you know the whole fish reference, or I don't know if anybody remembers the episode of Cheers where they went bowling and Norm walks into the, the bowling alley's bar. Everybody yells, Norm! And Cliff just <laughs> nonchalantly goes, he has a life. <laughs> I love the idea yeah, that there's it's, more than what we see on screen week to week. Yeah, it's like, what is he doing when he's not at the bar? Just because he's not a regular character, we don't follow him, so we don't know what his life is. So a lot of that was quite funny. I liked him walking into his quarters, and there's nothing there but the Matador painting that he bought in an earlier episode. I forget which one. And his big steam mud bath. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was quite funny. Oh, and they had um, the act, uh, the guy that plays Morn was the play the Bajoran that they had sit in his spot at the bar when Quark was, um, you know, we need to keep this seat warm. You sit down. And it was, you know, the same guy, Mark Allen. Yeah. All of that was absolutely brilliant. All that stuff with with Quark. The only problem I have with that, I did not believe for a second Kira would fall for that, where he gives that big speech about how Morn's great. And really all he's doing is making sure his profits don't take a hit. And I didn't believe Kira wouldn't see through it because I'm watching it going, Quark's a bastard, isn't he? I didn't think she she, she bought in. She She was just impressed with his BS ability. It is an impressive ability. Yeah. Don't you remember seasons ago when Kira wouldn't even go on the holodeck? Because she was afraid Quark was going to copy her and all that, and you know now she's freely always using the holodeck. And well, they've been like, in the occupation since then. The friends now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she's 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 been taken in by his uh, roguish charm. Yeah, because well, he's proved there's a little bit more to him. Right, not a right. lot more, but yeah. Wasn't there an episode where Quark was trying to scan her because somebody wanted a program of? Yes, yeah, yeah that was uh, that was what's his name. Uh, Playing another Ferengi, Jeffrey Coombs, right? I think so. Yes, maybe. So, shouldn't those maybe when you extract the latinum out of gold, it becomes brittle? (laughs) Because gold in its natural state, that I always see it is, I mean, it's soft-ish, but it's heavy. Like you, yeah, it doesn't doesn't look like clay. It it? doesn't. You just like poof, turn into gold dust. Not the wrestler. I don't know. When, James Bond was throwing those gold bricks at Goldfinger's guy. It didn't crumble. Poof, bounced right off his chest, you know. Well, I think these were hollow. I think yeah, they but were, still, they, they should have so just, like, like... at best, a shell. Yeah, well, oh, my God. Sorry, the dog just burst through the door, like Morn. Okay, maybe Morn wouldn't burst through the door. I think I'd be scared more if Morn did burst through my door. Wait, what? It's alive. So, you know, I mean... What what do you think of the caper aspect of this one? Oh, uh, Crit was um, I kind of recognized his, his character, but then I looked him up and I was like, okay, I did, he was uh, Brad Greenquist who played in Pet Cemetery, the original movie. He was, he was the ghost. Pet Cemetery. He was oh, the ghost. Right, right. He was the ghost to talk to the doctor. Cemetery not long ago, and it's it's one of the funniest films I've seen in years. Which one? The the new one or the old one? The old one. Oh, yeah, that's right, with Herman Munster. Yeah. He's great in it. Don't, don't take away from Herman Munster. It's everyone else that sucks. Ah, oh, come on, that little kid was freaky. Wait, we've already all, discussed this. All right? little children are freaky. <laughs> Especially with scalpels cutting your Achilles tendon. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the nasty scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 
<laughs> I did like that Quark was using Lorel just as much as she was using him. I loved his line, don't don't mention this to her, I could do some umoks. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't mention this before she sexually gratifies me, if that's okay. Yeah. I guess uh Hain or Gregory Itzen is uh taking some time off and playing the president on twenty four. Oh, sorry, wait, oh, no, he hadn't done that yet, I guess, at this point. He's always yeah. plays a bastard. Yeah, he, he he plays a good creepy guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but I, I you know I mentioned it and so did Andy the the two brothers doing their their really bad Jack Nicholson imitations is <laughs> that that does take yes. a little bit of weight. Well, the only thing that separated them was that the one guy was very you didn't know if he was playing it being stupid or if he was just stupid. No, he was, was stupid. Yeah, he was stupid. George and Lenny of Mice and Men. <laughs> They were George and Lenny, yeah. Good call. I really am sorry about the painting. <laughs> <laughs> did you notice when they did that, that when they bashed Quark over the head with it, it almost doesn't break? <laughs> they did not know he has to. He hits him over yeah. the head with it, and then he kind of has to pull it down over his head because it, it mustn't have broke as it should have done. And for some reason, they didn't do another take. Maybe they only had one painting. No, there was a trivia thing. They had like multiple. They had like ten or twelve of those things. Right. So maybe maybe that was the best take. They got tired of doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to feel sorry for Armin Shimmerman for keeping hitting him over the head. Well, plus, if I don't know how durable the makeup is, and I don't know if they keep whacking him over the head, if it might you know pull the ears down, or maybe they had to hit it a certain way and then pull it down. Does it could damage the makeup? I don't know. It's a whack a quark game. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this being a trope of a bunch of programs from that era, like the late 80s, early 90s, where there had been a robbery and the statute of limitations had passed. I just can't remember what else I'd seen it in, but I know a few TV shows did it. It would have been big on the sitcoms of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which, now that I think about it, this was a sitcom episode, just done in, in, in a actually really well-executed fashion. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a comedy rump, this one, isn't it? It's a rump? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a nice oh, rump steak. Oh, rump. <laughs> It wouldn't be rump steak, it'd be flank steak. Oh, Samsonite, I was way off. What? What? Samsonite, I was way off. It was a Dumb and Dumber reference. Oh, right, okay. Ah. There's a, there's an episode of the 50s Superman where this happened. Yes. I, I think it might have been one of the ones that we discussed in our three-hour Adventures yes. of Superman May have been. episode that we did. Episode of the Twilight Zone, the Rip Van Winkle caper. Episode of the Mission Impossible, so Dave is absolutely right. Episode of the Rockford Files, episode of Castle. So this this plot has been done many many times. Mm. <laughs> but it was the only time it was done on Star Trek. Yes, yes, it was. Was it? Uh, I don't know about that. Hmm. What do you got? I don't know. I'm I'm thinking I have seen this plot in Star Trek though, but I just can't. Um, Dave does too, but we can't yeah. it, we, with our combined. Computing powers were failing. It makes me think of a Harry Mud type of scenario. Yeah, but yeah. it wasn't. Oh well, wait a minute. Well, mm. no, it's definitely not Harry Mud. Harry Mud never faked his death. So no, I was trying to think of that short from earlier where he was doing running a scam from the beginning of season two. That uh, the Harry Mud short. I was a little. I was. I was another farce. Yeah, it was a farce. Another but scam, but it wasn't. It was. It was a different scam. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going with that one. Mm. So Latinum, huh? I I guess I 
see that this is where I know I, I don't remember seeing this the first on the first go around. Uh, so this to me, this was a new brand new episode of Deep Space Nine that Bill's never seen or doesn't yeah, remember. Yeah, because I was like, I had no idea that latinum was, I was like, what is gold press latinum? Oh, it's a liquid. Oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. Makes it easier to transport. It's a liquid that is just compressed and the gold keeps it all together, yeah. I'd I'd completely forgotten this episode as well, which probably tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) It was good while you... It's, it's, you know, it's like Chinese food. It was good while you ate it, but then you you forget it and you want to eat more. But you forget it and go to the toilet and get rid of it. (laughs) But I I think we all had, to the extent that we remembered this episode, we remembered it as being somewhat superior to what it actually was. And that's that's disappointing. No, what okay. were you thinking it was? Like I, I, I think I said earlier, I I kind of remembered it being more Morn centric than Quark centric, and it really is not. Well, I didn't I remember mean, it all. So Morn is just a framing sequence, for me, really. Yeah, have you, it, it's it's an odd duck of an episode given where it is. Really, um, it's you know it's perfectly entertaining enough, I suppose. Actually, I ended up thinking a lot about this episode more than I expected to. And the idea that, yes, there's war out there, and we've been dealing with it a lot in this season, but even when war is happening, war is li- hell. life is going on. I mean, when Desert Storm happened in the 90s, early 90s, I still went to school, people still went to work, life was happening, we were just aware of that in the background. Uh, I remember I was delivering pizza when the whole shock and awe campaign happened in 2003, and I like that this episode still kind of carries through that things are still progressing on the station. There are certain bubbles of normality. Ooh, bubbles. Tiny, Tiny bubbles. bubbles. <laughs> coming. But, you know, that's just my two cents. Or two regurgitated drops. All <laughs> but you guys haven't done a joke about me having a second stomach and holding all my Diet Mountain Dew in it? I'm hey, surprised. you only got the one stomach. We know that. Oh, But you are holding Diet Mountain Dew in it. Slosh. slosh. And apparently a bear. <laughs> but, but not an Irish Stephen bear. No. Because then it would be blue, right? You watched the you watched the documentary. <laughs> it was blue, yes. Yeah. His beard was blue. Let me be clear on what I'm referring to. Not the bear. That's weird. Why? What's a big deal? Blue beard is weird. I'm sorry. Unless you're a pirate. Ah, I know a guy. Well, I mean, some people, you know, people dye their hair and dye your beard. I, I, I understand. I'm I'm more just you know uh, I, I'm more conservative and conventional, and I think blue. I I think when you see people with hair that is not found, you know, colors that are not found in nature, it just throws me off. Really? Tell me more, Paul. No, but I, but I do love my holly. Okay. <laughs> so so let's let's not go there. You saw the hole I was pushing you towards. Okay. I saw it. Well, you dug the hole. I was just kind of getting. I you. did. I did. But you know what? It's it's different. I think it's more acceptable for when here we've gone and we're going into fashion. I, I think it's more acceptable for at least in our curmudgeon culture that we all live in because we're old men for women to dye their hair different colors than for to see a man with with blue hair. And, and I guess that's really in the long run more conventional in my thinking. And, you know, right. that's OK. I guess I'm an old fashioned get off my lawn kind of guy. Right. But in the long run, who really cares what color your hair is? I keep trying. I keep telling my daughter, I'm like, hey, can I get my. Yeah, because when I was what, what, when I turned 40 or like in my late 30s, I got my hair frosted. And I was telling my daughter, I was like, yeah, I want to do that. Again. She's like, no, 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 no. 
Okay, jeez. So wow, let's get a mohawk. Apparently, we're so far off the reservation. Should we just rate this episode? <laughs> yeah, should we get this one out of the way? <laughs> yeah, get it out of the way. <laughs> See, and that's that's exactly the problem I have with this episode is because of where it falls, it feels like a get out of the way episode. Whereas I think if it had come a season earlier, it would have been more well received by us. So I'm trying to, as as we've discussed in the past, I'm trying to rate it on its own merit. I don't want to say, well, it's not as good as what we're going to get, so therefore I have to give it a low rating. I want to just say this episode, based on what it is, this is the rating it should get. Um, I found it amusing in many ways. Like I said, my memory of it is a little fonder than the actual execution. But I enjoyed watching it again. Uh, I didn't remember a lot of the little twists as far as how they worked out. Uh, I think they could have done, you know, they, they could have made the story slightly more sophisticated than what they did. But overall, it was kind of abusing. Uh, so I'm going to give it the slightly above average rating of three. What did I give the last Ferengi one? <clears throat> uh, give me a second and I'll tell you. The last Ferengi one, you gave a four. Right. I thought this was funnier than that one. But I still don't think it's a four, so I'm going to go with you and give it a three. Uh, I give it uh, three regurgitated glasses of uh, Diamandu. Oh, that was me throwing up in my mouth. David Pascarella, <laughs> what did you what do you rate this at? I went right down the middle too. Three. I'm gonna. I give it a three point five because I did genuinely <laughs> laugh through this. Sorry, though. But. <laughs> When you started that sentence, I almost followed it up with... (laughs) And then I thought, I won't interrupt it. Thank you. But you did. But I did anyway. But it's what we do. Yes. Okay, so that's what we think, but what does Blaine think? Oh, Oh, come on, Bill. It's not like you don't know this is coming every episode. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, try and get that spontaneity working, damn it! Trying to change things up, man. Well, you threw me off because you just did a did 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 it, and I was like, "Have I already done?" But Blaine, but Blaine, what, what does he say? I think I, I think I've done that. Yeah, I, I think you did. I don't think I've done the theme to uh, Hawaii Five O, have I? But 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 Blaine, Blaine, Blaine. I think you have. What's a man? <laughs> we ought to start a spreadsheet for what does Blaine say? I don't think we've done what a Jake Goff band. Say? What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? That's almost Thunderbirds, but off key. I was okay, going to go Rockford go, Files. Yeah. Blaine, 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 Blaine. What does he say? <laughs> I don't think any of us are on our air game for this thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or we could do Buck Rogers. Blaine, what does he say? Blaine, 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 what does Blaine say? Blaine, 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 we finally get a story about Morn, who he is, and what he does for a living. It's also nice to see a Quark-centric episode outside the context of the Ferengi culture. Still, there isn't really any sense of lasting implications in this one, so it just feels a bit empty in the context of the first half of the season. Blaine. Yeah, I'd say that's probably about right, and you know, it looks like Blaine is uh, giving it some criticism similar to mine, that it's just the placement of the episode is not really 
ideal for it. And I guess that's not the episode's fault, but I think they could have done a better job of putting it in a place where it was going to just stand out a little bit more on its own merit. If it makes you feel any better, Armin Shimmerman doesn't like this one either. No, that doesn't make me feel better. Mm, okay. You know, for some reason, I just wondered if Morn's last name is Pliskin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. So, that's it for who, what, who, blah, 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 who mourns for Morn. We, we were all quiet there because we were mourning for Morn. What are we doing next time? Next time, our all-new episode. This is real for Benny Russell. Far beyond the stars. A dream of the past. I am a writer. Deep Space Nine is a very intriguing title. Becomes a vision for the future. Your hero's a Negro captain. It's not believable. Trapped in time. I think I'm losing my mind. Living another life. Maybe this is all happening for a reason. Cisco faces his greatest enemy. Things are going to change. They have to. Racism. <laughs> On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya. See you later. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. We could just do a whole show, show like we're Adele trying to talk to Dave. Hello. <laughs> I heard the laughter. I, heard, I can hear the laughter. Is that a metaphor? Or Lionel Richie. Or, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. England Dan and John Ford Coley. What? Who is that? England Dan and John Ford Coley. They sang that song, song. Hello there, it's been a while. Not much. How about you? I think your pop culture references need work, dude. It's, well, it's a, it's a bit dated, I admit. Isn't that a 70s song? <laughs> yeah, it's a 70s song. Is that the one? No, that's a not. It's not the one with the guy in the cab, right? That's old Anzine. No, no, that that's yeah, that's uh, another old Anzine. That's uh, I can't think of what his name is. Dan Fogelberg. Uh, this is England, Dan and John Ford Coley. It's the one. Uh, I'm not talking about my linen. Oh yeah. I don't want to change your mind. mind. There's a warm wind blowing. The stars are out. England, Dan, and John Ford Coley. Wow, that so roused just, Alvin out, out of his sleep. He just walked in. It's a deep reference. <laughs> it's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs>